Hello, faithful listeners. I hope you haven't been listening for a full hour while we've been helping Julian figure out how to do his audio, which is what happens every single week. But you are here within the first few seconds of the actual recorded episode, so good for you. Welcome to the Garden Statesman Podcast. I'm Mike. I'm Jeff. And I'm Julian. And we went out of order because Julian was drinking a beverage during his During the intro, you definitely want to just start (laughs) chugging a beverage. Well, this fair, is fairness, episode Mark's five not here. Of, it is only it is only episode five. You know, that's true. Some okay, of we'll us have done out. hundreds of these. I can't. I can't actually believe we did we 130 did of these before. I can't but, yeah. believe I'm. And a, I yeah. I wore my headphones probably consistently starting at like 130. At least for 40 like, percent of those. <laughs> 40 percent was really good. <laughs> to be fair. Those recordings, some of them took four hours, and I was drinking heavily. They did, they did. <laughs> it, was yes. a, it was a pandemic. It was a little loose. You know? It happens. It happens. Uh, it's, yeah. it's an honor to All be right, here so with such our... experienced podcasters. <laughs> indeed, indeed. This is our crypto episode, guys. Uh, we're not going to explain crypto, because that's happened over 95,000 podcasts with white males already. But we'll talk about some crypto stories. Um, we'll talk about kind of the general crypto market. A couple of interesting, gigantic crypto failures, and no doubt there'll be a tangent or two on mm-hmm. what the hell this whole dog and pony show of crypto is. But um, kind of story one point one, we're just trying to to describe the crypto market in general and the size of the crypto market. So if you're thinking about the market cap of crypto, which is a concept that barely should exist. Like what market, market cap, cap or crypto? Well, market cap of crypto. Oh, okay. It's like it's not really a stock. Well, right. But you're trying to like the the equity market has a market cap, right? Of many billions, and then the bond market has a much larger market cap of trillions, mm-hmm. and so you're kind of just this was an idea Asset of like framing say. the total market of crypto in dollars just because that's but i think that's one of have. the that's one of the inherent uh potential conflicts in the crypto world or at least the, from the crypto enthusiasts versus the crypto skeptics is is crypto an asset class um and if it is an asset class you know how would you account for the size of it compared to other asset classes so mm-hmm. you know like thinking sometimes the other argument for crypto is it's a store of value um we can you know poke holes in that later but the you know compared to something like gold which has a history of being a precious metal commodity that's used as money you know people say the gold market's around 7 trillion dollars so crypto in relation to that is either a digital gold yeah, that'd be one way of framing it or thinking about it, just like yeah. versus bonds or stocks yeah. or real estate. Exactly. And so at the height of the crypto boom, you could say, was what? November 3rd, 2021, it was worth $2.8 trillion. Trillion? Yeah. Hmm. Right? Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Trillion. I would but- say that's high to quite high. So that was the peak. I mean, that thing spiked up. The usually during like what from twenty early twenty twenty one up until almost now, it was worth mostly like two trillion. Yes, yeah, so it's about a Bef- third. Before that, it was like two hundred billion, and then now it's at almost a trillion. So yeah, it's a third of what it was. Uh, so it's come down quite a bit, but still worth a trillion, which is much more than it was ever worth before the pandemic. It's more than I'm worth. It's more than I'm worth, too. Yeah. <laughs> Emotionally. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's big, but not huge. I mean, like, let's look. What's the market cap of like, well, gold you're saying is. Gold, I think, seven, seven. trillion. I want to say, you know, people, where you, if you're looking at the global equity market, you know, it can be in the. Uh, you know, multiples of trillions. I think the U.S. equity market, I want to say, is around. Uh, some people say it's like sixteen trillion. Is that correct? Publicly traded Russell two thousand. Yeah, looking at it now, total th- market cap of U.S. stock market is currently, and this is May of this year. Okay. Uh, whoa. Forty-eight million millions. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? <laughs> like. 
Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Forty right. trillion. Let's lot. just say that's yeah. true. It's a Google plus. And I think you're correct. But I think the, the like bond market the trend is like is the high of the crypto market was basically three trillion. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then now it's a third of that. Right. So it's come down quite a bit. Yeah. And um I think the peak was when me, you, and our previous podcast hosts were drinking heavily in our basements, mm-hmm. and people were like, let's buy some more for crypto. Oh. I don't know. I got money. Yeah. This money keeps coming from this government. I keep printing it. I took out... Well, okay, let's say that. Do you guys own any crypto? I own Bitcoin because I was mining it at the very beginning, which I should have mined more and faster. Mm. But uh, it was worth about $300 when I stopped mining it because I was like, okay, I paid for this little thing I have. I'll stop mining now. Uh, that went up to fifteen thousand uh, dollars at some mm-hmm. point, and then I switched some of that out for um, Doge just because I wanted to own Doge, <laughs> and uh, oh, it promptly all of it tanked. Um, it's still I don't know what it's worth now, but and I mined some Ethereum earlier this year just for fun. Well, but I mean the peak of Bitcoin was you said you 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 stopped mining Bitcoin at three hundred dollars Bitcoin. Yeah. And the peak is what, uh, sixty-eight thousand dollars? No, no, no. Sorry, my my Bitcoin was worth. Oh, about was valued at three hundred. Yeah. Okay, that makes yeah. me feel a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have definitely should have go kept ahead. going, but yeah, no, keep going. Yeah. I have forty-one hundred dollars worth of cryptocurrency. I'm sure at some point it was valued over ten thousand. Um, I have two and a half ETHs. Oh, I have, that's a lot of ETHs. Oh yeah. I think I have uh, like a what. Well, Maybe a quarter ETH. I have 78 doiges. Oh, nice. <laughs> I have half a compound, and I have 0.05 Bitcoin. Okay. But yeah, Bitcoin's high was 68,000. It's currently at 18,000, mm-hmm. which is, let me check my math, less. Yeah, that is less. <laughs> yeah. Julian? You yeah, anything? so my so my history of crypto. So let's be the first to admit, your as an investor, your your mistakes. I remember living in San Francisco in 2012 and having friends, uh, even respectfully earlier than Jeff, who were talking about Bitcoin, and it intrigued me. And I I think it was under, if I remember correctly, it was around ninety dollars a coin. Mm-hmm. And I remember people saying you should buy some of this, and I was like, ah, oh, that kind of appeals to me. Is like a you know alternative currency, non-fiat currency guy. I was like, nah, but you know, this could be a fad. You know, it's like, you know, digital money, who knows? Yeah. So I definitely I definitely didn't do it. I missed all all that. Then I think when it was around a couple thousand dollars, I saw on a business trip a Bitcoin ATM and I mm-hmm. I purchased like a fraction of a Bitcoin an ATM. On oh, like a, wait, tell us about that. How yeah, did you it, even do that? Yeah, it was really well. I was just curious, kind of like what the process was. Like, yeah. how would you even do it? Um, so they like they gave you like a portable wallet with the with the transaction, which I thought was it was like more of a novelty effect. Like but a, it was like, like a physical thing, a physical thing. Okay. Yeah, wow. it was like basically it almost looked like a USB drive for like what mm. you got. But it was right. like you know I had like a fraction of a fraction of a Bitcoin, and it was you know at the time it was like probably like I can't even you know think about what Bitcoin was at the time. It was probably like a hundredth of a Bitcoin at mm-hmm. that at that juncture. And then I had a client who was very big in uh, in crypto um, from just an early adopter and interest in it from a business perspective and investing perspective. I was like, you know, I feel like I, I got to be able to speak fluently about this and understand it more. So I opened a CoinDesk account and I, I bought, you know, a number of coins, like fractions of coins, again, not full coins. I think probably I had like, you know, a few thousand dollars in crypto that I then sold probably around like par because it was like, I don't uh. trust this or get this stuff. And then in full disclosure, again, not investment advice, but I've been short a bunch of uh, Coinbase. I've been short crypto for, you know, better part of a year. Uh, it's been a great short. Um, You've been short think, the stock, Coinbase's stock. I've been short Coinbase's stock. Okay. I've been short, uh, there are a few different ETFs that are basically inverse to the price of Bitcoin. I've been short ARK. Uh, which is a publicly traded security that has yeah. substantial Bitcoin holdings. I've been short Bitcoin miners. Um, I've been short pretty much anything crypto related that I can get my <laughs> can okay. identify. Um, but you know, so I, I have some serious skepticism about it as an asset class. 
I think we could, you know, have a, I want to make a distinction. I think it's important for our audience. There's, I, what I find interesting about the crypto universe is, you know, there's a question to be uh, had is, is it an asset class or is, is it a form of payment? Um, is it a store of value? And also we should, I think, make a distinction between uh, what the technology, and I try to be better about this too, is, is you can be skeptical about it as a, as a tradable asset class or an investable asset class, but that's different than being necessarily skeptical about it, the distributed ledger and blockchain right. technology. And I think, you know, they, the word, they crypto and blockchain and, uh, you know, distributed ledger that gets conflated a lot. And, but I think those distinctions should be made. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I never, I know people who've made a lot of money in crypto. I know people who've lost money in crypto. Um, you know, I've made some money being skeptical of crypto, but you know, I think there's, there's probably plenty of people in all those camps, but I want to, you know, get, get out my story there and make sure I was my biases yeah. and, you know, uh, also, you know, failure to recognize certain things, how big they could become, uh, you know, gotta, gotta own that too. It was crazy. I mean, it, yeah. it was legitimately crazy how big that got and how quickly that got big. I mean, I don't know. Do we want to go into some of the controversies? I mean, the whole thing, honestly, to me is kind of like the same story that always happens during a bubble, which is like people get really excited and then they get out over their skis and they're like, well, this can only go up if there's no possible way this could do anything but go up. And then it, you know, inevitably stops going up and then you know, what's the, the tide goes out and you, is Warren Buffett, was that Warren Buffett's quote? See who's swimming naked. Yeah. The tide goes yeah. out and you see who doesn't have a bathing suit on. Yeah. And like, and so that is kind of what happened. There's been a lot of famous sort of blow ups here. Tether is the first one we have on the list, which is supposed to be a stable coin, which I like the concept of, which is effectively like tether well, there's several can others back up a second and like sure why is any of this shit attractive to anyone <clears throat> and like <clears throat> i think to julian's point like he's a guy who is um a hater of <laughs> rational economic policy he's <laughs> yep, a libertarian yep. mm-hmm. so so anyone who thinks that they can you know help or be effective as a person he's like no no, no that's not if true if they think the market's going up he hates them and yeah yeah yeah, that, this is, yeah that's, that's so, right like, that's, you guys got me yeah. my point is like when i came into the first um bitcoin the first time i had any aggressive conversations about it was with my um my wife's sister's boyfriend who's now her husband for so everyone making- listening the only kind of conversations flint has is are aggressive so. I mean, if, it depends on whether I'm leading or following. <laughs> if I'm following, then it might be docile. If I'm leading, then it's fucking. Well, the, que- the question is: um, is even listening the conversation? Which <laughs> right, that yes. is that's, that's probably problem. not even a conversation. Because yeah. <laughs> so so like Julian, he is uh, of a libertarian bend, and he was super hot on Bitcoin as a thing because he's like, oh, it's great. Like you can't dilute it like the stupid government and they're printing money and they're screwing everyone. And I'm like, not sure that that's how money supply works, but that's how you think it works. That's fine. You don't have a degree in economics. I may have studied it a bit. (laughs) And it happened that his, um, his friend was there who was an economics major. And so I just like, kind of put out there from a like hey you know supply and demand it's not just the supply of the thing it's the supply of substitutes of the thing so just because bitcoin has a set specific um a quantity of bitcoins that could be out there where they can't just print bitcoins and you think that that makes it stable what if somebody and I, I literally had the same I said what if somebody puts out spitcoin like I, it's like yeah, just trying right. to say like something that's identical it's the same what if thing. someone puts out a that joke be, coin with a dog's face on it with a know? dog's <laughs> face on it like just like a completely ridiculous thing that you would never do right <laughs> times 10,000 which is literally what's happened to the thing and and his friend is like well you're this makes sense. I don't know how it works. And, and like, none of us knew how it works. Cause this is all, this is like 2009. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now. So at that point I was like, listen, I don't believe in this. I don't, no one's really been able to explain to me 
a use case for it where there's value for it. And I think that there's a good chance that it would go to zero. And at that point, it was like trading at like $1,000 a coin. Um, and so now it's $18,000 a coin or something. And I was like, that's, you know, what am I going to do? Like buy like $1,000 for a thing yeah. that's going to be worth zero. And then at some point, it became so popular and so many people were talking about it. And this was maybe like the position I was in in more 2021 um, uh, where I was like, listen – I still don't understand necessarily if there is a true useful use case, but there's so many people and there's so much emphasis behind it. I don't believe it's going to zero. And I do think that there is a case that it could be a hedge because now there's so much support behind it that gives it a backstop that I'm like, it's worth getting into with a small percentage of your net wealth just as a hedge. And if it does go to zero, great. I lost two and a half percent of my wealth. If it goes to a trillion, then it's a good hedge. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're headed closer to the zero than the trillion, yeah, the trillion. at this point. But but yeah, Mike, I think you I think you laid out some important uh, you know skepticisms or criticisms of it. And you know, ironically, I mean, you can tease me for uh, it's full disclosure. Yes, I'm I'm uh, somewhat of a libertarian. I offend people on both sides of the aisle. I'm too uh, fiscally conservative for my. Uh, liberal friends and probably too socially liberal for my conservative friends. I'm okay with that. I'm also someone who believes more in the Austrian school of economics than Keynesian Keynesianism. Fucking loser. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, and I am an advocate for sound money. And I, I think a lot of the problems we have in our current uh, economic environment, namely inflation are because of the profligate profligacy of government spending uh, because of the debt accumulation and being over indebted as a society so I, I always the Bitcoin and digital money always attracted me for that. But ironically, I couldn't get my head around the Bitcoin thing for the exact same reason that you pointed out, which was I, as someone who studied a lot about gold and is a proponent of uh, gold as a the history of monetary policy and sound money, is mm-hmm. I never, I never, I always would poke holes in the theory that there was a finite universe of digital money. I was like, so why is it Bitcoin? Why can't it be XYZ mm-hmm. coin? Why can't it be Jeff coin or Julian coin? And I, I never. Why can't it be? Yeah, That's a good point. And I, but you I, should have at least a trillion dollar market cap, right, right. of Golden Statesman coin <laughs> to guarantee exactly. So that that part really that that never uh, passed the smell test with me, which was I why I was skeptical of it. Then the other thing which I found, um, you know, appealing from a some of the libertarian benefit, oh, it would be unregulated. There wouldn't be a Federal Reserve. It would be decentralized. I just was skeptical that there's no way governments were going to cede power for issuing right. currency yeah. and ability to tax it. And then, you know, we all followed the great book about right. uh, that Dread Pirate Roberts who was being used for nefarious reason. Bitcoin was being you used for- You know what governments love? Competition. Yeah, no, absolutely with, not. With themselves. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> that's not what they love. And, then, and, then yeah. a, and the last point on where I think, you know, it would be nice to talk to, you know, a real crypto, you know, enthusiasts about this is there's, some, there's something in monetary uh, history and policy uh, called Gershom's Law, which basically mm-hmm. for something to be money, it has to pass three tests. It has to be a store value. It has to be divisible. Um, and it has to be a medium of exchange. And what I never got about the crypto aspect was people kept saying it was a store of value. And to your point about supply and demand or adoption, you mm-hmm. know, from both a volatility perspective, you know, definitely not stable. And then, you know, as we've you know seen before, it, it uh, you know, it's not really it, it all these kind of different um, monetary cycles that we're going through, namely an inflationary time period. It hasn't proved to be a, a hedge. So I guess the question I have for the long-term viability of cryptocurrency back to the use case is, you know, what is it being used for? What is the utility? Mm-hmm. It's definitely not an inflation hedge. I think we've proven that. And if you look at it, you know, on a, like a, a like a stock chart basis, it basically is a high beta levered play on the Nasdaq. Yeah. So it's like, you know, what it what so is it it might have I, a it might have a means as like a of, as an interesting programmable language or perhaps a distributed ledger payment technology, but I don't yeah. think it's necessarily a tradable a- asset class that's a store of value. That's where I would take, you know, real criticism with it. See, I'll take the other side of that. I mean, not necessarily arguing that it's a great store of value, but 
I think it could be any of those things. And it's just the fact that it's in its infancy is sort of why it's so volatile. I mean, you know, for us as Americans with the dollar as our alternative, it's an easy, you know, it's easy to shit on as like, oh, it's it's just, it's crazy volatile and all these things. But for a lot of the world, it's not even that volatile compared to their own home currencies. Yeah. And so, and not to say that like- That's a good, po- that's a good point. If you're in Venezuela or someplace right. where hyperinflation, it's like, oh, I'd rather have that shit in Bitcoin than- Yeah. Yeah, you know, have it be 10,000% interest. Yeah. And not the- to say that it's even like that is the answer, but just that it could be the end. Like I, I mean, even like the Bitcoin, I think at the height I owned 0.35 Bitcoin and I spent like- 10% or 0.1 Bitcoin on just bullshit on the internet because I was like, I want to use it. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to promote this. the idea that this is a currency that people could use. Well, and I just, I had it and I was like, I I would like to see how this works and I would like to use it. And then, of course, like, the thing went to the moon and I'm like, why the hell did I? $18,000 pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, pizza. Yeah. Right. I just burned two grand on nothing. Um, but that being said, like, I do like the idea of like having Bitcoin on like my phone going to Europe and buying a coffee with this thing and not having to worry about foreign exchange fees and all this other bullshit. Yeah. It would be so cool. The two, the two tangible things that, that make sense to me in the concept of either digital currency or cryptocurrency, leaving like Bitcoin's execution to size, one of them is... Um, like the idea of a stable coin and a variety of people have tried to use a stable coin. A stable coin would be like, hey, this is a digital currency that is pegged to a Something. real currency. <clears throat> so, you know, US dollar coin, US dollar coin, whatever. And the weird um, use case that this has actually like filled is people trading between coins and putting it in between the trades to dollar coin as opposed to saying i'm going to use this instead of a dollar right the one the one um actual use case instead of just this like arbitrage and and, like technical use could be somebody who's like lives in Argentina or Venezuela or someplace <coughs> where there's very volatile currencies. If you had a true stable coin that didn't have different inherent risks about it, then you could say, hey, like I'm just pay me in US dollar coin um, where my government doesn't have a, a lot of control about whether or not I'm able to take this out from an ATM and I can trade it with other people in my country. Like there's an interesting way of getting around super corrupt governments with that there's been a lot of problems with stable coins where certain coins that claim to be stable and claim to like be keeping a reserve of uh to back it don't really do it and and this is this is reduced legitimacy of it but that's one interesting application the other one is one that i've go ahead uh, talk about that go ahead because yeah i I think i think no i think that's a really good point i mean look there there should there there been innovations in both currency and money uh, throughout history, there's been many, most currencies, their history is failure, right? Um, you know, that would be uh, one of those things. As with societies, I mean, right. you know. You but, <laughs> but that's like, that's one of those things that's happened multiple times where, you know, why I'm a skeptic of a lot of fiat currencies is the history of fiat currencies is that they've they've failed. Um, that being said, uh, you know, for the, what I find, you know, challenging for the, you know, the current environment is, there's a lot of rent seeking in the system. So, you know, for me or you to send a money wire, uh, you know, that takes a, a large cost. The yeah. idea that things could be a lower transaction fee, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the idea that, you know. By the way, I, I, trying to pay people internationally is still a clusterfuck. It abs- it's te- um, like it's I, terrible. Most of the yeah. people who work for my company are international. And it's like, yeah, I'm still oh, basically yeah. paying wire fees work? for every single person. Yeah, so I, I think so, yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. that part you know that part has some appeal, and you're absolutely right that there could be you know the Fed has actually issued a white paper, the Federal Reserve, for um, you know having a digital coin um, of a digital China dollar, basically. One, right? Yeah, so I mean there there are yes. experiments going on with this. I'm not saying that there you know again there should be a distinction made between the technology and its utility versus mm-hmm. uh, if it's uh, 
you know, a tradable or investable asset class. Well, and I will say, I, I agree with you to some extent on that is like, who, I do think that cryptocurrency will be a thing in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, what that means. And like, I don't know, right? Like, I don't necessarily think Bitcoin or Ethereum is going to be still around. I mean, I'm not saying it won't, but I'm not saying it will. I think the whole concept is a cool and interesting idea. But yeah, like, to your point, Julian, like, yeah, I wouldn't put all my money in Bitcoin and say, in 50 years, it'll be worth a huge amount or, or even the same amount. Yeah. Maybe it will, but maybe it won't. So, so to, to give you guys a concept of like what international payments and how much opportunity exists in international payments right now, <clears throat> um, I have a guy who works for Dashy Dash, um, and he we pay him through his his whatever the UK version of an LLC is, and um. We've tried so many different times to figure out how to pay him without paying a wire transfer, mm-hmm. and it's been screwed up so many different times. And so we're using currently this company called Deal D E E L dot com, and it certainly makes it easy to pay him. Um, like I just he submits a bill, I hit pay, and we pay him, but we're still paying a five dollar fee um, per payment to deal plus a $25 international fee. So we're paying $30 in fees every single time we pay pay him, him. which is we fucking might as well just send a wire transfer. Right. Right. It's which which also costs 30 or $35. Like there's no savings associated with it. And you know, you don't really necessarily have to deal with taxes reporting in the context that we're dealing with, with as contractors, because like the That's US government, we're a US corporation. Yeah, they don't really care. Like, you're a, a non US entity. We don't give a shit. Like, the, let those people figure it out, right? Is basically how the US treats it. Um, if we were had a UK subsidiary, we would have to bring on, like, there'd be a, a ba- better, bigger paperwork burden. But, like, it's still like, I'm just trying to pay somebody in the most culturally exactly the same society right. as America. The only like more like America we could get is if I was paying somebody in Canada and we'd still have to pay some absurd fee. $30 every yeah. two weeks just to give this person money. Well, even a bank, um, the fact that a bank transfer costs $30 is insane. It's crazy. Right? And like that it's, is kind of what I, I do like what about- What am I doing? How many hours does it take Jimmy at the bank yeah. to read the email? Oh, you got to go pay Don and pick up th- like the the money and give it to Don like he's like thirty dollars an hour it's one hour to yeah yeah it's ridiculous no it's insane and that's kind of what I do like about crypto is that it's pushing the regular financial institutions to be like oh you know what this costs yes. five cents like fuck yeah. you guys like this is this is a not this should not be charged for and look we're proving it but yeah, yeah whatever. So, yeah, like the whole foreign currency and avoiding corrupt governments is like the one use case for this cryptocurrency that I could make sense of. The other element around the technology that I think is interesting, and we've talked about this in, in conversations privately in the past of like the people talk about blockchain all the time, but Ethereum being able to be a kind of pro- programmable language and the one application that I have seen where that has been valuable uh, was this application that Walmart had. And the idea behind it was it's a it's a private blockchain that they had created where there are independent um, data sources where two groups who are constantly having arguments about the truth align to a specific digital truth. And that solves the problem. And so the idea is there's not this independent entity like a bank that, oh, I don't trust this bank because they're in with you or whatever. It's like, no, we've decided this thing that has nothing to do with us is the truth. And that's what's going to decide it. And so the specific use case for people who have no idea what the hell I'm talking about is, um, and this was covered on a Freakonomics episode. They were talking about It's a competing podcast, right? Yeah, it's a competing yeah. podcast. Yeah. We're not about equally popular. I don't want to say 
that we're better than them, but we are. Yeah. We definitely have a more diverse audience. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time you talked yeah. about UFOs? I mean, and <laughs> yeah. and investments and real estate. I mean, there's uh-huh. a yeah. very narrow audience. I mean, if you want to be a fucking sellout and do fucking stadium tours, then great. Go do a Freakonomics <laughs> podcast. But if you're if you're a man or woman of the people, then mm-hmm. listen to the Garden Statesman podcast. So regardless, um, the thing that they highlighted was this situation with walmart walmart gigantic global company obviously um massive logistics that they have to deal with so they do some of their own trucking um to move product from manufacturers to distribution centers to independent stores they have thousands of independent stores um but they also use independent truckers for a variety of things throughout that supply chain and like anyone who is that big is going to use independent brokers and truckers. And it's a very complex aspect of logistics, what you own, what your partners own and what third third parties that you're leveraging to move stuff around the country. So billion dollar company, they at some point had 70% of the contracts that they had written with, um, third-party logistics firms, so third-party truckers, to move product from a distribution center to their independent store or from a manufacturer to their distribution center, 70% of those contracts were in um, like arbitration or, or disagreement. Dispute. Right? Yeah, dispute at any yeah. given time, right? So you're talking about- That's a lot. Hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, um, that are just in dispute, and then you're paying lawyers to try and figure out those disputes. And the way that these things would work was they wrote these contracts to say, "Hey, you're trying to get this thing from here to there. You have a certain number of miles. We'll pay you this much per mile or this much per hour." And we know things happen on the road where, "Hey, there could be an accident or whatever, so we'll pay you more if that happens." Um, but there could never be an agreement of like, hey, we told you you had to go. It was, you had 1,200 miles that you were allowed to go from here to there, and you drove 1,500, and the truck driver will say, well, the road was closed, and blah, blah, blah. And so constantly, like, just arguments and then people negotiating about what, how much, what, what percentage of, like, what we said we would pay you are we actually going to pay on both sides. And so they created this private um, blockchain where they said, mm. we're going to use Google Maps to say this is the amount of miles. We're going to use any of their alerts around construction to right. say how, what the time period is. And we're not going to have an argument about this happened or this happened. We're just going to look at this as the truth. They went from 70% of their contracts being in dispute to 2% of their contracts being in dispute. Wow. Easily saved tens of millions of dollars. Big in, loss for the lawyers, I think, is really yeah, the, the lawyers. moral of this. Sad, sad. Yeah, it's sad. Which it's is sad. why those lawyers will lobby to pass a law to make this impossible yeah, exactly, to do in the future. Exactly. But, but, like, but, I, but those use cases, and there are probably a few where right. there are private people who need an independent arbitrator that doesn't exist is probably a great use of crypto. Where there is a trusted arbitrator who is – Maybe taking exorbitant fees, that's an interesting place, but harder to displace because then you have to create trust with. But but I think, but Mike, I think you brought back you brought it back to the main, you know, I think distinction of uh, and hinge point of the conversation on, you know, what is crypto and what it's what is its value and utility, mm-hmm. and it's distinct. The distinction you just made is a real use case of real utility for the blockchain and distributed ledger and smart contract technology but it doesn't necessarily make a case for crypto having any value as a as as money or as a tradable or investable asset class and Mm -hmm. i think you know you can have you can have both those ideas in your head at the same time and both of them can be true where it can be on the former it can be fine that it's distributed ledger has real you know value as a technology but it's not something that's going to be a store value or a medium of exchange or meet the Gershom law definition of money. Um, and that, that's really where I come up with it. And you know, well, the, so here's a, here's uh, the one part where I'll put an asterisk on that. So that Walmart example I gave to you was built on the Ethereum network. And part of like the verification is like proof of stake. And so, the more people that build networks like that, 
create a real demand for Ethereum in that respect. So in that respect, it does act more like gold in the true commodity use of gold. Like, hey, gold has to get used in computers and electronics and whatever, and that drives a certain amount of demand for it. And so I think the more applications for Ethereum in those aspects where I have to access Ethereum to leverage that blockchain is interesting, but Ethereum as a currency that people just trade as if it's a dollar or buy a candy bar with different sort of. And I think, I think that's a fair point. And I think this without getting too much into weeds. And I know we talked, we alluded to the fact that Ethereum, unlike Bitcoin is a programmable language that uh, developers can, you know, build like software on um, to, to your point about the smart contracts. But you know, I uh, I think the distinction I would make between I see your point about how crypto can have network effects and there's increased utility with that. I would I would take a little bit quarrel with the fact that it it would make it like gold, where it's a store of value instead of it just being a medium of exchange or payment. So would that just be you know are you converting to something to have to do a transaction? You need to you know u- utilize some medium of exchange to do business with party A to party B. And, you know, I, again, I, you know, I, I think all these things are fascinating. Well, let, me, let me take a, yeah. like, what's the difference between gold and a, a U.S. dollar? Well, I think the advocates of sound money would say that, you know, go, gold is a, a, fi- a finite resource that can't be replicated beyond uh, its uh, scarcity value. And that's what it gives it inherent value. So let's say the same thing. Does Ethereum have a programmable thing where they can't release any more Ethereum? Yeah. Yeah. Jeff? yeah. So Ethereum would be the same thing there as gold in that with just the definition in the, the, the confines that you just had in that sentence. Well, then we get back to the question of, you know, you can invent many more. Is the universe really finite for what uh, a digital currency is? Yeah, like we can can't make coin or, more gold. You can't can make, make more gold. You can't make... You know, alchemists been trying to make fake, but you, know, you gold could for years. say uses of gold and certain things where demand where gold is demanded, you could have an alternative for. So if gold is used in like a real industrial application, you could say, oh well, we found a way to make nickel do the same thing, which would in- put the same inherent risk on gold, which is the same thing as also like, hey, we use gold as this sort of risk allocator maybe ethereum becomes a risk allocator and so ethereum could be a direct competitor to it in some point in the future if really the only variable here is is human trust right i yeah i I would i would push back on that drives underlying if you want to go to first principles what drives human trust then then there's you got to go deeper into the argument but yeah, and I would say, you know, I would, I would push back on, I see where you're going with that, and I think there's some merit to that argument, but I would, I would push back on the idea that there's the same kind of scarcity value versus a physical commodity that, you know, by most accounts, all the gold that's ever been discovered is still in circulation in human history on the, in the Earth's mm-hmm. crust or above the Earth's crust, whereas, uh, and you can't, you know, you know, create that in an artificial manner. You know, you're always There's this gonna... guy Jeff Bezos. He's got this thing called Blue Origin. He might mine asteroids. He's gonna yeah. mine asteroids. He's gonna blow the shit out of an asteroid and create a bunch of gold. Mm-hmm. And that also right. is a great uh, subplot. In uh, did you guys see that movie on Netflix? Um, oh yeah, don't they, look up. Don't look up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, like that, that was a great, incredible movie. Good movie. Um, oh, I was yeah. so uncomfortable at so many phases. <laughs> Based but on the reality it was, it was of, so, my experience yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. of the real world, yeah, it's like brilliant. This is too brilliant. Meryl Streep is playing that. Um, the, oh. the other, I, I think this is a good good thread to uh, go down for you know. But there's another interesting thing I want to talk about, just where the crypto market is. I, I know we had this on our talking mm-hmm. points. Was um, yeah, there are a lot of scandals that are you know yeah. going on in the crypto universe. I want to make sure we don't yeah lose sight of that because um, I do think that. Um, you know, one of the other reasons I was always very, I am very skeptical about crypto. And, you know, as many listeners know, I uh, started my career and, and, and spent most of my time in the real estate industry. You know, I came out of business school during the height of, uh, you know, the first real estate bubble. And it was like in the glory days of subprime and just a lot of silliness in a particular asset class. And, you know, I feel like I had a front row seat to the end of the world at some points where I 
also saw some of the, you know, the worst excesses of a bubble in an asset class. And I saw particularly some of the bad actors that were involved in that industry, which I uh, is near and dear to my heart. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, all of us on this podcast are in our 40s. We've seen a few asset bubbles before. We've seen a few recessions in our careers. Um, you know, what's always I find intriguing about just, you know, the the human nature, the madness of crowds, the idea of bubbles and speculation is when you have something new is like the new, new thing, whether it's the Internet bubble in 2000, the real estate uh, bubble in the you know mid 2000s and maybe now crypto or startups at, at this juncture, you know, you always it always attracts at the margins some get rich quick, like scammy people. And, you know, crypto, I mean, it was when it, when it really started to take off kind of in 2016, man, it was like the same assholes that were all involved in the subprime crisis. I was like, I was like, that can't be good. I was like, yeah, anyone, yeah. anyone in their cousin who was like involved in that. And it was like, you know, associated with scandal and that, or I now mean, involved I was, in this. I was like, it just was a huge red flag for me. And now, that you've had, you know, you never uncover that shit when things are going up to the right into the moon because, you know, all the uh, greed, you know, kind of glosses it over. But, you know, to Jeff's earlier point about the Warren Buffett quote, when things start to crash, you start seeing, you know, who's actually the real deal and who's a bad actor. And we've had a number now that the Bitcoin, all these crypto prices have gone down. You've seen a number of people uh, who you know are outright frauds and criminals. Um, you've seen other things that are just, you know, bad business decisions, and there should be a distinction made between the two. Yeah, but I was going to say, but, like, that's, but that's that's a big black eye for an industry, and it may not recover or may not, you know, reach the heights, and definitely doesn't build trust, um, you know, to have it be an adoptable worldwide currency or store of value. And yeah, I think those are think those are real problems, like just hold on, growing hold on, hold on, pains. Hold on. So, so Jeff, yeah, summary of what Julian just said. If Elon tweets about it, it's okay. Is that right? <laughs> that's how we that's know what, it's worth money. I think that's what he said. Yeah, that's that. That was clearly that was I exactly. Sure yeah. Summarize that correctly. Continue. Uh, I was well. I, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you just. I most of what you just said. Like, just it, there was. There's just so. I was even looking over the list, and I just put on these things because we were going to talk about crypto, and the thing, the first things that came to my mind were. The tether controversy, so the stablecoin failing to be a stablecoin, Celsius bankruptcy, which was supposed to be this big deal with a lot of like supposedly very well-respected people, uh, and then Three Arrows Capital, which was, um, you know, like, what, what is Flynn doing? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's, it's me and my other crypto guy over here. Uh, vacation, ba- vacation Batman. Vacation Batman. He's he's into crypto. <laughs> yeah, Vacation Batman is super into crypto. You should see Lobster Batman, where he's wearing. Uh, this I was this guy for Halloween one year. Just by the way, nice a Lego Obviously. Batman. Yeah, Obviously. no, but it's a Lego Batman wearing a vacation Hawaiian shirt with his own Batman logo, mm-hmm. um, and then. I like a it. like ducky thing. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. He's yeah. it's he's serious, but he likes to party. Yeah, <laughs> kind of kind of like I feel most of my Hawaiian shirts say. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> so and the yeah. the third one is three arrows three arrows capital, which is apparently like I think they were a six billion dollar crypto fund at some point, run by like yeah, crypto yeah. hedge fund. Yeah, yeah, and so and but all of these things really fall into the same bucket of like either scammy or these guys just don't probably just don't know what they're doing like or like, yeah. everything or there, or, was going up right or there's a big so element, it's easy. There, there's a big element of you know in speculative bubbles there's a big element of ponzonomics like where yeah. you know you have you don't really need what, to do it well because right everything the, is going yeah. up and you can hide yeah and the, and, and the real va- the real va- you know what is the value of something when everything is going up it's you know, what the greater fool will pay for it and there's no intrinsic value <laughs> value there. And in some of these yeah. cases, yeah. they were, you know, they literally were Ponzi schemes where they were using new investor money to pay out old investors and yeah, you know, which I is don't just outright think, fraud. I but don't other, even think other they things were just like leverage they were doing you know, speculative that. leverage. I don't even think they knew they were doing that. I think they thought that this was a great idea. Like the, this yeah. Ponzi scheme thing was like a new idea. Like I, 
part of me thinks some of these guys were I think just you're right. so like unexperienced that they were like, oh, we can just like the Celsius thing. These guys just weren't managing their capital. Like it was, it was sort of like they had money, but then they were moving it around so much they didn't even know where it was. It was just like yeah, they bad no risk, management. They had no risk controls. Well, yeah, I mean, they, yeah. So all of this shit around like anyone who <clears throat> you see this constantly. These younger people who damn will kids. start a company. No, it's just like they start. Get a off my lawn like, already, right? Yeah, and this <laughs> this fucking frisbee's mine now. Okay, <laughs> uh, this is this is mine. You lost your privileges. If you want this frisbee back, you have your mom call me. She knows my number. Um, that's what I say to Zuckerberg constantly with his goddamn electric surfboard. Ugh, him and that. You want frisbee. your electric surfboard back, Mark? Well, then you know my number. Okay. I will speak to your mother later, and we Ugh. will have a serious conversation. Um, no, like, there are hundreds of 20-year-olds who have made a lot of money and have figured out some weird niche thing, and some old rich asshole who previously lived in San Francisco and currently lives in Miami because their goddamn <laughs> libertarian asshole mm-hmm. like life decided that that's how that works. He's like, I'm going to pay this 20-year-old this because they are so confident. Because it's so hard to find a twenty a confident 20-year-old. Right? That's like impossible, right? So no. many of them um, have gone through so many life crises. They, who has self-esteem, like, self-esteem at that age? Right. Here's what's, here's what's true about that is like, you know... When I my sister in law is seven years younger than me, um, and when I was twenty six or twenty seven, I would be like, "What's the cool new shit?" Because she's one younger, just discovering new stuff, and she two is in an environment where there are four hundred people who have infinite amounts of free time discovering cool new shit constantly, mm-hmm. and so. That's that. There's a thing there where if you have a smart person who has zero other responsibilities in their life and focuses their entire life on doing that, and if you read some of the stuff around Facebook of like what that Facebook house was like when Zuckerberg dropped out of um, Harvard, Harvard yeah. there was nothing. There was nothing that was happening except focusing on that. As a 41 year old man who's founded a company. My life is slightly different than that in terms of like <laughs> I'm on a podcast right now talking to you guys um, because like not that like I don't have the time like great if my wife said hey Mike go work on your startup for three hours I could do that but then I would go to bed pissed off thinking about my startup and my <laughs> wife would punch me in the face when I woke up and like there would be a lot of anger right <laughs> like you can't bring that environment into a world where you are responsible for other humans um, but. That doesn't change the fact that these motherfuckers are completely inexperienced, right? Yeah, and yeah. So I think I think that, that's that's fair. I mean, there's there's plenty of inexperience. There's plenty of hubris. There's yeah. there's also bad actors. It's just too. whether or not the position yeah. you're in is going to overcome. You're like, are you smart enough? And is your advantage big enough to overcome your inexperience, or will you bring in enough adult supervision, Cheryl Sandbergs, et cetera, to solve that? When you I and, I do and, think that like. I mean, I think you're, Julian, you have a good point. Like, you know, this is a black eye on crypto to some extent. Although, is it just an inevitable black eye that was like, like I made, the, I think I made this analogy to you a couple of weeks ago where it was like the, the scooter thing, right? When, <sighs> when those scooters right. came out, people, these freaking idiot VCs were talking like it was Jesus just came. Like <laughs> this is going to change everything. No one's going to own cars anymore. Are people gonna ever going to walk again? They're, they're, they they're no. Why would you walk? You don't. How have would to you get anywhere with without a scooter? Yeah. You'll just use these scooters <laughs> for everything. And like it was silly at the time, but now you know whatever it is, five, ten years later, they are useful. They're just not anywhere close to as useful. You know, no, there should be six, six billion dollar scooter companies. Right, right. Like, and so, but they still, they do provide, like in Denver, they're all over the place and they really are useful. Like people use them all the time, zipping around. Now, you know, there's issues with that too, but yeah, like (laughs) it, it is a better mode of transportation in a city in so many ways. It's cheaper, it's easier, it's more environmentally friendly. It's all these things. And it's, it's great. 
it's, one of my favorite things didn't about change that the world. Is, in the in the past uh, podcast that we had, we were talking about Lime. And at the time, Lime had like I want to say four hundred employees. Yeah, and they were yeah. in thirty cities, right? Like including Dresden. And I'm like, who is the guy who's at Lime LA who's responsible for the four hundred Dresden scooters? <laughs> Those scooters must might as well be in the ocean right now. Right. Like yeah. nobody is monitoring those. There is no system for that whatsoever. You guys are way over your skis. Yeah, right. I mean, but yeah, every every industry but, has. It doesn't but, mean that the yeah. the value of the industry is worth zero. I mean, well, for, sure, for is, sure, for sure. So let, let's, but let's it's overly hyped now. But yes, yeah. I but do let, think there's yeah. value. So let let's play this out though. So let's just say the parallel is somewhere in is somewhere somewhere to dot com and the real estate bubbles combined. Yeah. So you have. You know, the internet definitely was not a fad. That's still a Wait, thing. You think you don't think <laughs> it's a fad? No, okay. but you you had mm. you had you know just because you had a .com slapped on the end of your name as a company, you shouldn't have gone public with no real right. product or no real revenue. But hey, you got some. Brought real- to you by GardenStatesmanPodcast.com. <laughs> right. Valued at five but, billion dollars. We, we don't but you, own that. But I you still. If that's a real but you had answer. a lot of real companies that were made during the first internet bubble, and it created real technology and real infrastructure, and that was a good thing. Similarly, for real estate, there was you know you had a lot of uh, poor regulation around uh, certain areas of the mortgage underwriting process, particularly subprime, and for bank supervision for leverage. And, you know, that le- led to a, a real banking crisis. So you think so, real estate's a fad? Is that what you're saying? Right. I real estate's that. obviously a fad. You know, f- you know, thousands of years, probably old, oldest asset Except class. Except for but McDonald's. The, but the, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, the, you know, so maybe crypto is somewhere in between there where you have elements of a speculative, like, startup boom. And then you have a lack of regulation where the bad mm-hmm. actors come in and exploit those weaknesses, right? And But maybe at the end of the day, you know, it's... I didn't it, know you were such a fan of government. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm fan of Jul- regulation. Julian I mean, I'm, loves regulation. There's this lack of regulation. I'm, I'm saying, a little bit more libertarian than you are, Julian. So I, I guess so. I, I guess so. Freedom. Yeah. But yeah. You know, but but, uh, but look, there, if you, uh, I was going to put this in the recommendation section. Caveat the, uh, tour. But the uh, the same guy actually who wrote um, the book that became the movie The Social Network, uh, Ben Meserich. Um, he wrote a great book on crypto, basically called the Bitcoin Billionaires. It was kind of the second act of the Winklevoss twins, who were ironically at the Winkle ground. Winklevoss. Winkle the Winklevoss. Excuse me. The Winklevoss. Plural. Yeah. Hence the plural. Um, apologies, Winklevoss, Cameron, <laughs> Tyler. Uh, but the yeah, I think the interesting thing there is you really have a divide in that universe of people who are saying, "Wait a minute, if we want institutional adoption to be taken seriously as an asset class." If we want, uh, wait, you know, hold be- on. You're advocating that we buy and trade orphans now? Or, uh, orphans? <laughs> Institutional adoption as an asset class? Yes, you're correct. Yes, oh, yeah, that would be that would be very Jesus. awkward. I'm not I'm not arguing for human trafficking. Wow. No, no, that would be. That would, I am going to buy all social. of the yeah. any musical DVDs that I can find. Yeah, because this is a new asset class. No, I think I think it's an it's an interesting divide though in that world for people who are like, no, this is this should be unregulated government, you know, uh, free freedom for this technology and for this, you know, potentially asset class, or we want regulation. So we know where the guardrails are. You see us regulators trying to determine if these things are securities or not. Yeah. Um, or commodities. There needs to, I mean, there needs to be regulation, right? Because the SEC is going to step in at some point in the future and just be like, Oh, this was illegal. The thing that you've been doing for five years is now illegal. And so, like you do, you you need yeah, it, right? And and you to and to and by the way, there also we all know people, smart people in finance and tech who have yeah. left. I know have, people in finance and tech. Maybe you know <laughs> smart people in finance. And tech. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah, maybe you know, questionable, right? But you know, yeah. we do we do know people that we all respect who have gone into this industry. You know with, people <laughs> that right. you respect. But with with with, with I don't with, respect anyone. <laughs> Yeah. This is New Jersey right. we're talking about here. We know people we know people who've left traditional industries and have gone into the crypto industry that, that I, I agree. That I would say are people of goodwill and sound ethics. And you know, I don't think they're out there to not be in a situation where they get themselves in trouble uh unwittingly 
or trying to hurt I would hurt not other make people. that commitment until I determine whether they're talking about pork roll or Taylor Ham. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Totally fair. Um, but otherwise, I, I, I don't know. I, but I, I think when you get back to the legacy on this, like, I'm curious how that all shakes out. I'm curious, like, if you have the black eye of uh, this, you know, unregulated kind of speculative time where there was fraud, where there was people hurt. Does that make it, you know, less likely that it becomes adopted by the masses? Does make it less likely that it's a sustainable ecosystem? Or is there real value that's created out of that? I think that's the part that, you know, intrigues me about where we go from here. To be determined, my friends. Um, recommendations? Do we have recommendations as a... Uh... Uh, anyone? I know Jeff has one that's that's in there right now. If you want to start, and then uh, I have one. Uh, yeah. yeah. The um, speaking of crypto, uh, Odd Lots podcast. I don't know if you guys have listened to that one, but uh, they have some. It's a generally really good financial podcast, but they do a lot of crypto stuff. It's I think a Bloomberg podcast, but there's Joe Weisenthal who's been. He's been associated with a lot of things. Uh, Business Insider, I think. Anyway. He's he's Wall Street Journal. Was he Wall Street Journal? Okay. Yeah. Uh, So he, him and uh, his, Tracy Alloway, I think her name is. Yeah, she's Uh, great. Anyway, they do a great job. Um, What was the other? I had another uh, Bloomberg. I'm I'm blanking on the guy's name. Adam Adam Levine? Levine? Matt, Matt Levine. Matt Levine. I know you're. Matt Levine. I know you're a huge uh, Maroon Five fan, so that's why you like yeah. Adam Levine. But I mean, yeah. you can't celebrate his whole catalog. But he's look. He's a great. Adam, he's great on Bloomberg too. Adam yeah. Levine sings a good song and he writes a great financial blog. Uh, no, Matt Levine uh, does <laughs> multi, write a great multi talented, multi talented. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, yeah, Odd Lots podcast, uh, quite good, um, and crypto related sometimes. Here's here's my uh, crypto related recommendation. Crypto, as you may have been able to tell from the last uh, hour and five minutes, it's a little bit of a mystery. You know, nobody really knows what to think about it. And you know who writes a great mystery story? Agatha Christie. <laughs> um, she's written over seventy mysteries, um, dating back to the eighteen hundreds. And let me tell you what. I love about that copyright law, mm-hmm. which says that many of those things are now in the public domain and you can access them off of Amazon or Apple Books for free. Hmm. And as a man who spends his time frequently pondering how he's going to get to sleep with the weight of the world on top of his shoulders, a nice little mystery is a good distraction. Right. And uh, yeah, I picked up a couple of Agatha Christie classics for free last night and uh i've been enjoying i'm enjoying them helps helps me get to sleep um good distraction from regular life mysteries and they're all about bitcoin that's crazy mostly yeah i mean which is weird it was 1890 and she was way ahead of her time you know what the problem is real thought leader not enough regu- <laughs> not enough regulation and i'm sure that, that julian would agree with that i mean she's no adam levine who's apparently a regulator <laughs> yeah i mean adam a rock, levine a rock star guy. and yeah. a you know financial blogger but you know who is right yeah uh, who is who is <laughs> uh on the recommendation front uh, i'm gonna follow uh jeff's uh initial uh recommendation of the odd lots podcast i would i would highlight everyone to listen to the interview they do with um Sam Bankman Freed. Look up the episode. He's the founder of uh, uh, what's the name of that company? Uh, STX, and I, I believe they call him in the crypto world the acronym SBF. Uh, SBF he, founder of S STX. I think it's STX. What's his yeah. name? STX. SPF. SBF founded STX. And Stop if it. he yeah. was from Norway, me. he would need a lot of SPF. Probably. <laughs> Sa- yeah, Sam okay. Bankman Freed, uh, crypto billionaire, wonderkin. Um, he's investing or backstopping a lot of the crypto companies that have fallen from grace. Um, His but, friends call him Sammy Freebank. You know, he mm-hmm. uh, he basically had a uh, interesting interview on the Odd Lots podcast where, you know, he came under maybe perhaps a more skeptical audience 
and it was quite difficult for him. So I encourage everyone to to listen to that uh, episode, make their own deci- decisions on, you know, is this guy, is he an, an entrepreneur? Is he an opportunist? Does he know that this is kind of all perhaps speculative excess, maybe even worse? Um, maybe said some quiet things out loud that he probably shouldn't have. Um, it's a very, I think it might go down as one of those things where that was a moment where everyone recognized that maybe the emperor has no clothes. Um, so that would be, I recommend that. Uh, yeah, and I, I hope you guys uh, keep learning and keep uh, staying skeptical. So as always, have your pets spayed and neutered. <laughs> Get a colonoscopy after 45 years old or 40 if you have a history of uh, colon cancer. And um, I was listening to this podcast in a couple of weeks. Listen to this podcast, obviously. Yeah. 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 Um, That's what doctors recommend. Yep. That's it. I'll have a colonoscopy. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.